Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show we review all the week's new TV from Sharon Horgan and Bad Sisters to Sean Bean and Marriage. Mark Ryle is here with the new cinema releases, plus Irish soccer legend Ray Houghton chats about his favourite movie and why he's no time for psychoanalysis. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I was away for a few weeks. I was sunning myself on the Aran Islands with the family, quite literally sunning myself because we had the most glorious weather. I've ever had on the Aran Islands. Absolutely beautiful. So I'm refreshed and rested. Uh, Hairy moment. I was going to say scary, but it probably was slightly scary as well on the way home. About 100 miles from home, car packed full of the family. We're all feeling the heat and quite hungry. And the car started beeping, making this really strange noise. Well, a beep. It was a strange noise when you're doing 120 and it suddenly starts with no rhyme or reason. And the car lost power. So I pulled in and like my wife was checking the manual, trying to figure out what's going on. But it's just this, you know, near terror of we're 100 miles from home. What are we going to do? Ring the insurance that's going to take, you know, however long. Ring someone to pick us up. Nightmare scenario. So I just started the car again. And it appeared to be fine. Now, I drove slowly home, but uh, we got home. Obviously, I dropped it to the garage straight away, where it's being fixed for whatever's wrong with it, as we see fit. The mechanic actually said to me, my trusty mechanic, it could have been bad fuel. Yeah, I need to stop putting aftershave in, you know, trying to cut costs. But anyway, that was my little sojourn to the west of Ireland, which was delightful, all in all. Now, we did have a show last week, but it wasn't podcast. I brought you a music special where he's playing you some of my favorite and I think the most iconic uses of songs and movies and people seem to enjoy it and talked about it being nice Saturday evening radio it wasn't podcast because podcasting music now is practically impossible because you can only play like five seconds of it so it would have been a very short podcast here's a song here's another song so I didn't do that and the previous week's show was very popular where Mark Ryle and I were bringing you our favorite Love story movies, good love, bad love, hearts on fire was the wry title I gave it. And a lot of people got in touch. I just want to mention quickly, Anne in Dublin had said a couple of scenes that she really liked. She talked about Witness, The Horse Whisperer, and even Stand By Me. And then a lovely memory evoked by Catherine, who talked about Betty Blue. And she said, it's just a classic movie for the music, tragedy and real life feel to it. Even though it was through subtitles, I saw it in the screen cinema all those years ago on a double bill with Blue Velvet on Friday afternoon. Just brilliant, a real tragedy and such a moving film and way ahead of its time. I probably haven't seen it since you did, Catherine, but I remember loving it. I also remember loving the screen cinema. There were two, but the one in particular I adored was on Delir Street. It was just a haven for cinema lovers. It was it was it was it was slightly dank and I mean that no disservice. It was, you know, it wasn't fancy, but it was just lovely. And they showed a lot of cool movies. They showed big movies, but they showed a lot of cool movies. They really did. I'm very happy memories 
of the Screen Cinema in Dublin on Delir Street, which, alas, is no longer there. Uh, thank you for that, Catherine, and all the people who got in touch with the show and enjoyed our love story special, myself and Mark Royal. And Mark Royal will be back this week, very shortly, because I know people missed him. It's that time of year. People are away and coming and going, but uh, normal service is resuming. And to that end, I was watching plenty of TV, TV for you guys. First of all, there was this. Woodstock 99. It was going to be the biggest party on the planet, but that's not what any of us remember it for. How happened? It really felt like it was flower power and coming together in harmony. I've never seen this many people. It was peace and love and music. That was it. It felt like a crowd that could turn at any time. It was like this unleashing. All this energy. There was no control. The environment was just very male ego. I started seeing large groups of dudes surrounding women. There was a lack of respect. Given the climate of the guys there, I'm not surprised by it. Hey guys, back, give us some room. You're getting scary here. Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. It's been out a couple of weeks now. It's on Netflix, available to stream, all about, calling it ill-fated seems like you know, an understatement. They decided to bring back Woodstock in 1999 to supposedly ape the original Woodstock, which had been, you know, all in all, to call it a success is also an understatement because it was, you know, maybe the most, well, without doubt, the most culturally defining music festival of all time. Michael Lang, who I always had a kind of fondness for whenever I heard him talk, was the original curator and founder of the Woodstock Festival and at one point had been Joe Cocker's manager until Joe uh, unceremoniously fired him one day and he decided that he wanted to do another Woodstock. They tried one in 1994, it hadn't worked out, so they were going to do one in 1999 and he had clearly lost some of his you know, free love, no possessions vibe because they clearly wanted to make a lot of money and you may remember from the time, depending your age, Woodstock 99 had the biggest bands of the day, a lot of them kind of veering on the side of heavier music, kind of rock, bit of metal, Limp Bizkit, the Red Hot Chili Papers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, not the Papers, that's a different band, I think. Uh, Sheryl Crow was there in the, in the lighter end of the pool, but the biggest stars of the time in 1999 were there. And it was a train wreck for all sorts of reasons, but most notably because they set out to make money was one of the reasons. And they had sold out all the food and drinks to concessions and they were charging $4. This is back in 99 for a bottle of water. They put these massive fences up. But what was the main cause of it seems to have been the, and it was very hot and there clearly weren't enough facilities and in the documentary, you just see this. It was over three days, a Thursday through to a sun, a Friday through to a Sunday. And you just see this level of aggression in the crowd who are getting annoyed by the lack of facilities, but also are kind of a lot of, as this documentary seems to show, frat boys. And it was a strange time in America. I'm not blaming Bill Clinton for it entirely, but there certainly seemed to be a frat boy mentality in the crowd. And there were some pretty angry, sexist men who continued to get angry and angrier and hyped up on drugs and booze and heat. And the whole thing fell apart. And by Sunday evening, 
horrific stuff was going on that included sexual assaults and fires and chaos. Uh, so it was a pretty rotten ending and a horrific ending to what began as a supposed reenactment of peace and love. The documentary is very good. Uh, I, it's funny, I, I don't remember Woodstock 99 being that much of a disaster until I rewatched this and it really was and horrific things happened. And you have to say some of the bands really did themselves no favours. I mean, Limp Biscuit seemed to be egging on the crowd. Uh, Cheryl Crow probably comes out with the most kudos of the whole people because people were shouting awful things at her and she pretty much told them where to go in a context that wasn't easy to do. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers were asked to kind of ask the crowd to stop setting things on fires, but refused and then played fire by... Jimi Hendrix, so go figure. But Trainwreck Woodstock 99 is a very interesting watch. Now streaming on Netflix. It's three parts. They're only like 45 minutes long. It's over the three days uh, and it, it works as a very watchable piece of television, but also a very shocking piece of TV the more you watch of it. So that's Woodstock 99. Trainwreck is the exact title. Now, another show I want to tell you about that I watched on Sunday and Monday night, and there's two more parts on it, is Marriage with Sean Bean and Nicola Walker. And they're playing this couple who are married. The clue is very much in the title. and. They are living a seemingly very pedestrian life. They are taking out the bins. One of them is going to work. Sean Bean's character isn't because he's recently been made redundant. They're worrying about the stuff I guess most married couples worry about. You know, who's cleaning the dishes? What are we going to have for dinner on Saturday night? How's her daughter doing? It's shot incredibly mundanely at times. And you see the minutiae of you know, not just married life, but but daily life. They're going off to B and Q and, you know, very simple pedestrian things. Some people have found it incredibly boring from the reviews I've read. Other people have really liked it. I've really liked it so far because it's a it's a slow burn and it's not just Sean Bean taking out the bins because there are tensions in this marriage from all sorts of places and they rear their head in slight ways, in very small, subtle ways, can get less subtle as it goes on. And I've I, I found it very different. Uh, it, it, there's like it's a kitchen sink drama in some ways, but then it's completely not in other ways. Uh, it's it, it's really different to a lot of stuff you'll see on the TV. It also has a brilliant opening scene where the couple are having a row about a jacket potato. And they're about to get on a flight home from a holiday in Spain. Really, really well done. And Sean Bean and Nicola Walker are just in epic form on it. And and at times there's almost a documentary feel to it as they're sitting on the couch on a Saturday night eating Chinese food. It, it, it's really good TV. Now we reach that awkward moment where it's on BBC. So unless you have access to the player, which most people don't, it's going to be hard for you to watch. However... What I would suggest, having heard what I had to say, I think you could still piggyback on the last two episodes because it's worth a watch just to see how it's done and how TV can be done in a slightly different way. So that's Marriage on BBC on Sunday nights at nine o'clock, starring the great Sean Bean, who doesn't die, you know, because he's 
used to dying and things and Nicola Walker. Now, the last piece of TV I want to tell you about is Sharon Horgan's. They're calling it Sharon Horgan's piece. It's not entirely her piece. It's Bad Sisters. She wrote some of the episodes. She's one of the sisters in the aforementioned Bad Sisters. There's five sisters. We also have Sarah Green playing them. The great Eve Hewson, uh, previous guest on this show, Anne-Marie Duff, Eva Berthistle. And they are five sisters, one of whom is married to a pretty rotten man. And it begins with his funeral and it flashes forward between his funeral and six months ago when, I don't want to give much of a spoiler, it's a dark comedy and they don't like her husband and someone suggests maybe he should go away forever. Let's just leave it at that. And the five sisters are circling around this idea, let's say. Now, it's on Apple TV. I think they're releasing one episode a week. You have to have Apple TV. I've seen a preview of the first one and a half episodes. I just got so tired, I had to go to bed. Oh, after all that aftershave I was sniffing before I put it in my petrol tank, but I uh, had to go to bed. But it was really entertaining so far. It's it's shot, I think, largely in Malahide. And, you know, this is an English production in a certain sense because it's Apple TV, but there is no Irishisms in it. And nearly all the cast are Irish in it. This is really well acted. It's very funny. It's very dark so far as well. So one and a half episodes in, Bad Sisters, which is maybe the big TV release of the week, is getting a definitive thumbs up from me. And from the episodes I've seen of it so far. A couple of laugh out loud moments. And then really quickly, Dope Sick on Disney Plus, which we talked about last year. I was on Pat Kenny this week for the series box that we do every two weeks. People got in touch when me and Pat were talking about saying how much they love that show. We talked about it before. In case you don't know, it is all about the opiate crisis in America and in particular the prescribed drug OxyContin and how it ruined parts of America. Michael, Michael Keaton plays a doctor who is prescribing it and then becomes an addict to the same said Oxy. And you have the Sackler family who are behind Purdue Farmer who make Oxy. They are in it as well, as are two state's attorneys who are trying to bring down Purdue Farmer and hold them account for uh, basically peddling a drug to America that they claimed wasn't addictive when they knew it was. It is a great TV show. And uh, just in case you've never heard this show before, I'm just telling you, if you have Disney Plus, you should watch Dope Sick. Uh, if you don't have Disney Plus, go to someone's house who does and watch it there because it is great. And then finally, 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 in my in my opening remarks to you this week, I just want to tell you about a competition that we have this week. See How They Run is a new movie which will be released on the 9th of September in the West End of the 1950s London. Plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after the film's Hollywood director is murdered when world-weary Inspector Stoppard, played by the brilliant Sam Rockwell, and eager rookie Constable Stalker, played by the equally brilliant, if not even more so, Sir Ronan, take on the case. The two find themselves thrown into a puzzling whodunit it within the glamorously sordid theatre underground investigating the mysterious homicide at their own peril. Now we have tickets to give away for a premiere on the 6th of September, which is a Tuesday evening with drinks on arrival and food served with the film in the glorious cinema that is the Stella. The Stella which is in Ratmines in Dublin and you've heard me many times before. Eulogising, that makes it sound like it's dead, but it's very much alive but telling you how wonderful the Stella Cinema is. So the thoughts of going to see a movie 
with Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan should fill you with joy and also the prospect of going to see it in the Stella should equal that level of joy. We have three pairs of tickets to give away for this premiere. Before you enter, just to remind you, if you can't be in Dublin, on the 6th of September, in Rathmines specifically. Please don't enter the competition. If you can, by all means do. Simply text the word RUN to 53106 or email the word RUN to screentime at newstalk.com and Amory Kane will pick a winner for three lucky people to go and see, see how they run in the Stella Cinema. Up next, the return of Mark Ryle. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn to the weeks, although one of them is last week's, more of that and on. New cinema releases. Mark Ryle has been away through holidays, illness, stamp collecting fetishes, <laughs> but he's back by popular demand. He's back. People have been saying, you know, there used to be those things, where's Eddie? Where's Slash? Where's, you know, when where's people Waldo? were missing from bands and all. Where's Mark Ryle? He's where's back. Waldo? <laughs> he's in effect. Uh, we are going to look at a new release from last last week because yep. I just think people want to hear about the new Jordan Peele movie Nope yep. and we're going to talk about a new French movie called Anise in Love a French comedy a summary kind of French comedy so Mark how are you? I am well John how are you? Good I think that's what people wanted to know that you're well Are you? Are, are, you, well. are we both refreshed? We're both very much, very much yeah. we've had holidays we've you know it's been great and we haven't spoken that much because we haven't been doing work you know so time, time drives yeah, I, I, I guess it is. So listen, nope, the Jordan Peele movie. Jordan Peele movies are kind of becoming, you know, event mm. movies in a way because he has a pretty great reputation for making certainly interesting movies. People don't know Get Out and Us are particularly two great movies. I would suggest, as I say, it was out last week. Now, I haven't seen it, but mm. uh, you have. So what's going on in Nope? Uh, I'm a huge fan. I read. I, I think I'm in the minority with us. A lot of people did not like that one. I thought it was fantastic. But yeah, this. So Nope is movie number three from Jordan Peele. Yeah, and it's the first time he's left. Sorry, me. can I just say I liked us a lot. By the way, so did I. But yeah. uh, many didn't. No, I know. I just didn't want you to consider me one of the many. Okay, yeah. great, great, good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I was slightly disappointed with this one. It's it's mostly set on a ranch in Hollywood, and Daniel Kaluuya. And Kiki Palmer are brother and sister. They come from a long line of horse folk. Their father, Otis Sr., runs a company that supplies horses for movies. And their great, great, great grandfather was the jockey in Edward Muybridge's The Horse in Motion from 1887, which was one of the first moving pictures. So they've got horses and they've got movies in their bones. Um, it, this Nope gives off a fair amount of, I'd call it, uh, maybe biblical vibes. It opens with this, this Bible quote. And in one of the very first scenes, um, the father and son are out tending the horses on the ranch when this uh, storm of metal objects like keys and coins starts raining from the sky, which is straight from the Old Testament. Um, Otis Sr. is killed. It's not a spoiler. It happens in the beginning of the movie um, when a coin goes right through his skull. And then Otis Jr. is left to run the family business by himself. Um, then more weird stuff starts happening, like horses disappearing in the night and electrical surges. And then OJ notices a large cloud over the ranch that hasn't moved in days. So the question is, what's in the cloud? Mm, that's an intriguing setup, uh, which is. you might expect from Jordan Peele. Now, you know, I, I sometimes I say, you know, the reviews are good and all, but the, the truth of the matter is the people who listen to this show want to know 
what you thought, genuinely. Me to a lesser extent, but you're the main attraction in terms of cinema reviews, judging by the emails over the last few weeks, wondering where you were. So uh, you didn't, you weren't fully on board with this. Um, I did enjoy it for what it was, but what I will say is that it didn't stay with me. It doesn't hang around upstairs in the old grey matter in the same way that his other work does. Mm. Um, I don't think it's got the longevity of, of Get Out or Us and it doesn't it also doesn't really deal with any big important issues like you know like uh, black exploitation in get out or like class and inequality in us um it's also not as focused as either of those two it's kind of more unwieldy and all all over the place this one it, it just it, it just exists without trying to say anything which which is fine and a lot of people will probably like that um but like i said i enjoyed watching it but it didn't I, I didn't dwell on it for long, if that makes sense. Sure, but can I just interject? Now, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard a bit about it and read a bit about it, obviously. Is it not making some point about black people being written out of history? Because it's like, because there were uh, horses for silent movies in the early Hollywood days that they're, is it not making some statement about the lack of black representation in Hollywood? No? If it's doing that, it does it very, very, very subtly to the extent okay. where I didn't pick up on it at okay, all. Okay, okay. It must be very subtle then. It, it, well, it, it must be incredibly <laughs> subtle. I get, like, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and I don't, like, I wouldn't have minded some of that. But it, yeah, it completely yeah. missed, I missed it completely. Um, it's, 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 I describe it as, as grounded sci-fi. Um, okay. With a touch of horror? Yeah, that's the thing. Now, he still knows how to, he knows his way around a creepy scene. And there's a really, really good one here that is almost certainly been lifted straight from the best bit in M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. But unfortunately, that it, that scene, it turns out to be a fake out and it doesn't go anywhere. And it's the, for, for me anyway, it was the only time that Nope got properly creepy, which was slightly disappointing. Um, going back to M. Night Shyamalan, I found myself thinking a lot about him while I was watching this. And that is not a good thing. Because, how so? That's interesting. Because um, he, like Shyamalan started out very, very strong with the sixth yeah. sense and signs. But then what happened was he started to believe all this hype that was, there was all the nice things that were being written about him, first of all. And secondly, he became obsessed with, you know, the twist. And then, yeah. and, and, but then all of his movies just became about the twist. And he, so he started trying to make his own kind of movies. He, if you know no, what I mean. Well, he's he well he's made some absolute garbage well, over the no, last. No, few I agree years. with you, but what I was trying to say is he he became too aware of the M Night Shyamalan thing, and he started yeah, doing it consciously. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a I've become an icon now. I think Jordan, mm. I would really like to see Jordan Peele just do a straightforward good story next time, and not become obsessed with like every single movie that he does is becoming like a, a cultural phenomenon. Um, I and would you like think to, that's what he might be doing here. I think so. I mean, okay. you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time um, if you can just make a good movie. Now, the, the 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 first, as I said, I enjoyed watching this. The first half of it, it, it kind of sets up the question of what's up there. And the second half, if you like, answers that question. Now, obviously, Little Green Men in UFOs is the is the automatic assumption. But as this is a Jordan Peele movie, things are not that obvious or straightforward and it is open to interpretation um but i think for me like there's a lot of biblical stuff going on in this anyway yeah but the, the but the, the first half of the movie as i said where we are all trying to figure out what the hell is going on at the same time as daniel kaluuya's character is i think that's where nope is at its most rewarding and 
And also, it, this is definitely a movie that works best if you don't, if you go in without any prior knowledge mm. of what it that might be. Um, but then, uh, unfortunately, the second half of the movie, and especially the third act, it falls a little bit flat because most of that second hour is action. And, you know, this is definitely, well, it's definitely his most cinematic movie and it re- does reward being viewed on the big screen. I'm just not sure that action is a genre that, that, plays to appeal strengths if that makes sense mm, okay okay so an intriguing first half but then it kind of turned into a action movie that didn't work for you it kind of did i mean there's i think it's like there's nods to spielberg and, and stuff like that but uh, it is a bit unfocused as well and all over the place and I, I i don't think anything was cut out there's one particular story strand here that goes absolutely nowhere and when the movie is finished, you're going to look back on it and think, what the hell was that bit about? And I'm not going to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it by mentioning what that strand is. But it's possible that I think it might have been included. And it's a big chunk of the movie. It might have been included just so that a couple of shots that looked cool could have been could be used in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that's a worry. It's odd. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's yeah, strange. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. As the character says in Anna and her sisters, Max Van Sido, you don't buy a painting to match the rug. So, uh, what are you going to say, stars wise, for Nope? Nope, I'm going to give three and a half because it's entertaining, but unfortunately, I find it, you know, disappointing slightly. Yeah, you see, well, in a way, there's a compliment in there because it's the measure of a man that Jordan mm. Peele to get three and a half is kind of disappointing because we expect high things from him. I now, was nope, more, yeah. Yeah, Nope was out last week, but it is still very much in cinemas and it was requiring the Mark Ryle treatment for which he gave three and a half. Let's take a quick clip of Nope. What did you see? Hmm? That was big. How big? Big. What'd it look like? I don't know. It was fast. Too fast. Too quiet to be a plane. OJ. Are you saying what I think you're saying? A clip there from Nope, which, as I say, is in cinemas now. Now, Mark, a movie I did see this week is the French comedy Anise in Love. Just tell listeners what's going on here. There's lots of double-barreled French names involved here, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it that you'll cut me some slag with, over my pronunciation. Zut uh, la, may we? Oui. <laughs> uh, and Love is... I started saying like Del Boy there, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's the uh, the first feature from writer-director uh, Charlene Bourgeois-Taquet, and apparently it's a comedy because I read so in the release notes. Um, Anais... Uh, de, de Mustier plays an ace something or other I don't know what her second name is in the movie she's a young Parisian um, she describes herself as a free spirit I describe her as a complete head melt um, an ace is she's the center of her own universe she is she's spoilt insufferable she's late for everything she's two months behind on a rent at the beginning of the movie she's also pregnant because she forgot to take birth control and she also forgot to tell her partner that she's pregnant then at a party she meets uh, the much older daniel who's played by uh, denny podalide and she starts up an affair with him he's easily old enough to be her father um she grows bored with with daniel and decides that she fancies Daniel's wife, Emily, instead. Um, and in a development that is both creepy and borderline stalkerish, uh, an ace follows Emily to a residential writer's workshop in the countryside, and she wears her down and doesn't take no for an answer until 
she gets what she wants again. Yeah. Now, you see, there are different ways to view this. I suppose it doesn't seem like being a stalker when she's a pretty young 25-year-old girl stalking, you know, a pretty 50-year-old woman. Maybe it doesn't seem like it's stalkering, but I suppose it is. I'm sensing you really didn't like this. I thought, I, 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 <laughs> I'm trying to avoid saying I hated it. Um, I didn't enjoy spending any time with this character at all. Um, it's very similar to Joaquin Trier's The Worst Person in the World, if anyone's seen that. It's a, that's a, quite a, another recent movie. Um, but it's nowhere near as good. And um, Anais is not as interesting or as layered as uh, Julie, the character in Joaquin Trier's story. Um, because on some level, Julie has, she's got an awareness of her shortcomings. Uh, that I suppose it's, it's recognized in the title of the movie, The Worst Person in the World. But there is no such awareness in an ace. And if an ace is in love, as the title would suggest, I think to me that she's, she's, she's in love with herself. I knew you were going to say that. You see, I found her quite pleasant company. She's a free spirit who can't commit oh. to anyone. <laughs> Or anything. And she just wants to find stimulation whenever she can, you know? Uh And I mean, the thing about, you know, she has this affair with a guy who's old enough to be her father. She's fully cognizant of that. And they're not trying to say this is cool or anything. She says, you know, she's basically trying him on for size. And then she's trying on, you know, his wife for size, I suppose. And the relationship with the wife, I thought, worked kind of well. So I, I found her pleasant company. This isn't going to change your life or anything. But as a gentle summer French comedy, I thought it worked. But I guess it rests on if you found her pleasant or not. And you clearly didn't, but I did. I didn't. know the relationship with uh, Emily, uh, the, um, the, 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 the wife, uh, I think that was... When she starts, when they're they're introduced, I think that was quite interesting because obviously Emily sees through her, and mm. she, but the, and but like the thing about it is, and you think oh maybe for once she's not gonna you know this isn't gonna go her way, but she gets everything her own way all the time, and for someone who is such a walking train wreck as this character is, it seems improbable and incredibly vexing for me, and it's quite boring watching a protagonist that everything works out for all the time without any obstacle or impediment whatsoever. Well, yeah, well, I mean, the thing is her life is falling apart though. She's overdue on a rent. She has a job. She has like, it's not like all is well in the garden. Well, she could care less though. No, I know, but breeze that everything is going to work out fine in the end. And there's no growth. There's no character development at all. She's just like, it's just a spoiled girl child who gets everything her own way. And, you know, the very final scene of the movie. I've been given out to by a parent here. Oh, no, you're right. I'm sorry, Dad. Look, I didn't mean it. You did wrong. You know, you did wrong. Um, no, um, like it, the final scene of the movie, it, it, it looks like finally that she is not going to get what she wants for once. But then I think the, the director, uh, Charlene Bourgeois Take, she bottles it. And I just found the whole thing aimless and charmless as well. Uh, You've just going to give a spoiler about the ending, but I don't think you really care. So. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't said what, what happens. It no, just... I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, I, I, 
you, it was kind of aimless, but it, to me, that's kind of the point. It's a young 25 year old girl rambling her way through life. And there, I, I found something pleasant about that stage of life where, you know, all you really care about is, I suppose, on a simple level, being happy and trying to find romance and stuff like that. And maybe I'm sharing too much and work doesn't mm. matter and all. So it worked for me on that level, but you were too irritated by her, I can tell. Well, I certainly was. What about the comedy? Well, once or twice, no, I mean, I wasn't laugh out loud, but there were one or two funny moments in it. I, I, I thought the relationship with the elder dude was kind of funny and he shows up at one in, in inopportune time. And yeah. I also, the use of Betty Davis eyes, the song I really liked as well. I have to say. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think, yeah. The, the, when he showed that it does veer very close to bedroom farce territory at times, which, you know, in the year of our Lord, 2022 is, is inexcusable. <laughs> but that, that like the thing about the, at one point, her brother who's who's just as useless and aimless as she is he almost kills a lemur by giving it a xanax and it makes no more sense in the context of the movie as me saying it just now it's just as (laughs) as random and nonsensical as as it sounds you see you found it random and unpleasant i found it random and pleasant but it's we've reached one of those regular junctures so what are you going to say stars wise for a niece in love I'm going to give it a two and a half because I think more than anything else, it just, it just annoyed me. Oh, I, I actually thought you were going to give it like one and a half. I'm going to give it three because I, as I often say, I found it mildly diverting. Mm. But anyway, there you go. Three for Anise and Love for me, but more importantly, two and a half for Anise and Love for Mark Ryle. Mark, great to have you back again and you will be here next week and the week after. So just if people are listening in, he's not going anywhere for a while. Sounds like a threat. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Up next, Irish soccer legend Ray Houghton on his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. And I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to be joined by Irish footballing legend Ray Houghton. Ray, hello sir, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed, thank you. Your favourite movie, now this might worry you, is the same choice as Eamon Dunphy. Uh, will you tell our listeners what your favourite film is? Yeah, it, we can, I think it was in round about 75, 76. Um, and it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, which was uh, an absolutely wonderful film. I think what the cinema that often, but people had told me about this film and it was a must to go and see. So that's what I went and did as a young lad. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. What is it you love about it? Because it's quite an anti-establishment movie, you know? Yeah, I know, but I, I think because it was an issue that even to this day isn't talked about very much, which is mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, and I hadn't really heard much about it. It was a bit of a taboo, to be honest. And even today, people don't talk about mental health often enough. And I think just to see inside an institution, whether it's true or false, or how, it, how it really is, the way it was portrayed, I thought was uh, was excellent. You know, the the eclectic mix of people that was that was in in there. Um, you know, there was a lot of people who were in there voluntarily. They weren't in there because they were sectioned or anything. There was uh, they were in there because they wanted to be in that institution because they couldn't handle life uh, or for a variety of reasons. So it was just that insight that I hadn't really seen before, and I was. A youngster, I was intrigued by it. Right. And what age were you when you want to see this? At 14, 13, 14, around about that time, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you, you know, you're, you're learning, aren't you? You know, you're learning about life. And, you know, as you, as I said, nothing was really out there about 
mental health issues. Um, now, the main character, you know, Jack Nicholson, he went in there for bad reasons. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a bad person initially, uh, and he pleaded insanity to get off of what he had done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you've got to remember that. That's the twist in the story, I suppose, in many respects. But it's just the people that was in there uh, and, you know, the different issues that they had, uh, uh, you know, in there for a variety of reasons. It's also incredibly sad. I mean, you you remember yeah. the chief who, who doesn't talk for a long time and then suddenly miraculously seems to be. And then Jack Nicholson's character, what happens to him in the end? I mean, it was pretty heavy stuff for a 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, there was a lot of fun fun to it. Yeah. You know, seeing, seeing people who, you know, were in, in an institution and, you know, had all these uh, diff- different problems and he was trying to get them to be happier than themselves, you know, so there was some good things that was in yeah, there. Yeah, good point. Uh, there was, you know, there was also sad, you know, when when, when Billy kills himself, you know, the young lad, um, you know, the chief. I think it was when Nicholson gives him a, a stick of chewing gum, and that mm. was in the first time he, he, he talks. Mm. Because before that, he's played, uh, he, he was deaf and dumb, he couldn't, couldn't speak and, you know, whatever. So all of a sudden, you know, there's that change to him as well. You see a different type of person. Then what happens to uh, Jack Nicholson as far as, you know, he gets, uh, you know, the test, the things done on him, and then all of a sudden, you know, he come out, he's, he's lost his, his mind as such. And he's not the person he, he, he was. And then the chief picks up the big water fountain and throws it through to, to escape. So there's a, there's a lot of different emotions in it mm. when you watch it to, to look at. Have you shown it to your own kids? No, I haven't. Um, I've watched it quite a few times. So it's funny they've filmed it. It's just like a secret, quite a secret pleasure watching it, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's something I've found and kept, you know, so... Um, and whenever I'm asked, it's, you know, what's your favourite film? It's an easy one for me. It's always yeah. been that. I don't know. It's always just stuck with me from, you know, from that young age. Yeah. That uh, I really enjoyed. I just thought the, and there was a lot of new, a lot of new people. Like Danny DeVito was in there. I think yeah. Christopher Lloyd, isn't it? That's right. You know, there was a lot of new, there was a lot of new people coming in. There was a lot of people that might have been even the first film. And it was a blockbuster. I think he won everything, didn't it? I mean, it won the best, best actor, best actress. Best film, well, you know, one of them unique films is yeah. it won everything. Like that's been all the casters. No arguments for me. Tell me this. I'm wondering over the years, you know, we hear a lot of this stuff about like, you know, people listening to music and stuff like that to get drummed up for football matches and stuff. Like in team hotels over the years, were you ever shown movies to kind of get you motivated? Um, I, I do remember being at Crystal Palace once and they they tried that. It was an American film. You know, it was one of these American sports films. And it was all about, you know, high, high, high and get going. He didn't do anything for me, personally. <laughs> you know, I wasn't into that. Um, and it's a bit like having uh, analysts, you know, like a psychoanalyst. You know, you go and see someone and they would be trying to, you know, the power of thought and oh, we're going to get them. We all think the same way. We're going to win matches and things like that. You know, I, I was sceptical of that personally mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, I think it's down to the individual. You know, you've got you have that strength of character and strength of mind. And I know not everyone's like that. I haven't seen in that film as much like that. It's been, they're not all the same. Every one of them is different. They've all got different issues. They're all coming from, you know, different walks of life, uh, if you like, you know, different meanings to, for them, what life's about. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with sport. You know, and when you look at sport, you know, we're all different characters. You know, some can handle pressure, some like playing in big crowds, some are better training than they are playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can get you can get individuals like that. 
Um, but as far as watching a movie for it to inspire me to go and play football, no, that wouldn't that wouldn't wouldn't work for me. I'm sure there were others. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate your candor on the matter. Listen, can I ask you something? I was telling a couple of people in here that I was going to talk to you about your favourite movie. And, you know, every time your name is mentioned, two particular goals come up. And I don't even need to say what they are. I wonder at any stage, you know, and here I am doing it. But I was just going to, like, do you get tired of talking about Euro 88 and Italian or USA 94? No, never. Um, Okay. They're, they're the mem- I mean, we're, all we've got left now is ex-players as memories, haven't we? You know, yeah. we can't go back and play again. So you've got to look back in your career. And it's amazing. I've, I've played in some, like, 700 games all in in all different competitions. And maybe even a bit more when I played in the reserves. I'm not even, when, when I was getting to come through at West Ham. But there's only certain games you remember. You know, yeah. some people come to me and do you remember those? Because you, you, you get a fancy of Crystal Palace and they'll remember a game they went to when you played. So do you remember when you beat so-and-so? I can't remember. Remember when you were little when you played so and so? No, I don't really remember the game or the goal that you scored. But there's certain iconic moments in your in your career that stick with you, uh, and some games that every club that I've played at that I can remember clear as you like. And obviously, in '94, two of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. And listen, finally, I, the odd time we have sports people on this show, I bore listeners. I'm a lifelong Evertonian, and uh, hey. obviously, you were on the other side of the Mersey. But I'm just wondering, you know, two games in, it's it's not looking great. I know it's early days, but I asked Damon Dunphy, oddly enough, the same thing. What do you think the problem with my beloved Toffees is at the moment? Well, it's going to be scoring goals, isn't it? <laughs> as simple as that. Too many people try to overcomplicate football. Football's a very simple game, and it is to stop the goals going out at one end and score at the other. Now, if you're letting goals in and you haven't got someone to put the ball in the back of your neck for you, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, you need you need goals. You need it's as simple as that. You need people that can score score goals. And just looking around Everton at the moment, never lack for commitment. Always up with attitude to go and play the game, but it's just the quality, and that's what you're looking at. And unfortunately, with Richardson leaving, you know, there's one of your main assets uh, to score goals. Uh, no longer at the club, Calvert Lewin. Can you depend on Dominic? How, how many games is he going to play? Is he got injury problems for the last what, eighteen months or so? Um, how, when he does get back in the team, how fit is he going to be? Can he get the goals to keep them up? So it's going to be another tough campaign as it was last season for Everton. Yeah, OK. Well, look, a depressing end to an otherwise fascinating chat with the legend that is Ray Houghton, whose favourite movie is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ray, thanks a million. Pleasure. Thank you. Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out. I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not. You're not. You're no crazier than the average asshole out walking around on the streets, and that's it. A brief clip there of Jack Nicholson in The Great One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And my sincere thanks to the busy, but the very decent, Ray Houghton, the legend that he is. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane. Just want to remind you, you can get in touch with me at any stage during the week. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. If you want to share your views on TV or movies that you might be watching or have seen, or you want to share your views on anything at all, I'm wide open for your correspondence. Next week on the show, as things stand, I'm going to be talking to Idris Elba. Yes, the great Idris Elba about his new movie, Beast. I say as things stand, it's in a calendar. It's in his calendar. Well, I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam, but you know, 
that that's the plan as things stand. And then the week after that, and I know this is happening, Hugh Bonneville and Kelly MacDonald will be talking to me about a new Netflix movie called I Came By. So lots happening in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening and have a safe week ahead.